see you. Hey, just a quick matter of business before we jump into the word together this morning. We uh, did a survey last week of our congregation. Thank you, thank you, thank you for those of you who completed that survey last week. You didn't have much choice because we took like five minutes out of the service to do it, and I told you we needed 100% participation or I was going to quit my job and, you know, the you know, church was going to burn down and all that stuff. So, you know, you did it. So, but we're grateful, grateful, grateful. Thank you. Helped us in a lot of ways. I'm going to mention one of those ways here in a minute. But if you didn't get a chance to complete that survey, grab this Connect card out of the seat back in front of you, complete some information there, and just tick the box that says you'd like to receive weekly uh, updates from Pastor, or regular updates from Pastor Lucas via email, and register for our email, address, our email list. We'll keep you updated on things going on here, but we'd also like to hear from you in terms of that survey. It's very, very quick. Take you five minutes to complete the survey, and it helps us to do just a great job serving you as a congregation. And you can also indicate that you'd like to be a part of a life group, serve team, baptism, which is coming up right around the corner on May 5th, I think, all kinds of stuff. You can let us know via that Connect card. So grab that, complete it, drop it in the offering plate. Uh, We don't have all of the data for the surveys um, compiled yet, but I took a cursory glance at those surveys this week, and I was really fascinated by one thing. And that that one thing that I kind of gleaned from, again, a cursory glance, is that we have a ton of folks here that when they are asked the question, have you invited someone to church or have you shared your faith personally or whatever in the last six months or a year or whatever, they say no. And then when they are asked why, they say, I don't know how. Isn't that interesting? So what that tells me, what that tells us, is there are people who are seated in this sanctuary right now and that were at the earlier service that maybe have a passion or a desire to share Christ with someone and talk about their faith in him, invite someone to join them at Bayview Glen Church. They have a passion or desire. They are just not equipped with the tools to do that. So, So guess whose fault that is? It is. It is. So on three, I want, you to, I want you to say this. We blame you, Lucas. One, two, three, go. See how it feels good, doesn't it? Just to offload blame. That's always been my motto. Blame Dave Lewis. That's always been my motto is blame somebody else. And, and look, I say that half jokingly, but I really see myself, you know, in, in the, this pastoral role that I'm in, I believe that I have a responsibility to you to serve you well. And thank you for completing that survey because I, as I looked at it, I thought, oh my gosh, I need to serve them in this way by equipping you with some tools that will help you share your faith in Christ. And so we're still in our Believe series, our journey through the Gospel of John. But what we're going to do this morning is take a look at John, the book of Acts, a couple other different things, and we're going to learn together some real simple ways to share our faith in Christ. Sound good? Good, let's pray together. God, thank you for your presence here this morning. We don't have to invite you to be present. You're already here. And so as the song says that we uh, sing regularly here at Bayview, that Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we pray that you would make us mindful of your presence. God, illuminate hearts, encourage us, exhort us, comfort us, convict us, whatever it is that you need to bring to us. Oh God, we open our hearts heads, hands, lives to you today in the name of Christ. 
the people of God with enthusiasm said. Remember where we were last week, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he prays to his heavenly father. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also those who will believe in me through their word. I'm not asking for just the disciples that are sitting there with him. I'm asking also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who is he talking about? Everybody say me. That's right. You said that with a lot less enthusiasm than I need you to. Who's he praying for? That's right. He's praying for us. He's praying for me. He's praying for you. People that would believe in Jesus through the word of the disciples. 2,000 years later, seated here on Sunday morning at Bayview Glen Church. And, and what is he praying for us? That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So unity within the body. Number two, that they also may be in us. So uh, connection with God, connection with others. We talk about that in our uh, discipleship model all the time. Discovering a life connected to God and connected with others. And then he says, so that. Here's the purpose. I'm praying for them that they would be connected with one another and connected with us. Here's the purpose. So that, what? The world may believe that you have sent me. That's the purpose. That's the goal. That's the desire. Jesus, other places in the scripture would say this. You are salt in the world. You are light in the world. Go shine your light so that all the world can see me, Jesus says. Go, uh, let the world taste and see that the Lord is good by being flavorful salt. I'm probably going to cook a steak tonight. A little salt on there, baby. You know what I mean? Like, it just needs a little something, just needs a little, little extra something to make it awesome. And that's what God comes along. He says, look, just taste and see. And you be that flavor in the world that's preserving the world, that's letting people know about me, Jesus says. So here's what we declared last week, that you are the Jesus that the world needs to see. You are the Jesus that the world needs to see, and not just the world. We filled in this blank with a name or an organization or a group of people. I am the Jesus that my coworkers need to see. I am the Jesus that, that my neighborhood needs to see. But we didn't just leave it at you are. We changed it to I am. I am. So we made it personal, declarative. I am the Jesus that Susan needs to see. I am the Jesus that James needs to see. I am that Jesus. Don't, st don't stop here and just say, I am the Jesus. That's weird, okay? That's weird. Unless, of course, your name is Jesus, in which case you are the Jesus. So, but, but we don't want to stop there. We want to continue to say, I am the Jesus. And so everybody in the room, well, who, what's that name? What's that name, that, that person, that group of people that God has called you to? Is it your coworkers, your classmates? Is it your neighborhood? Or do you have a name in mind? You know, God has called me to this person to live my life in such a way that they don't just see me, they see Jesus himself. Do you have a name? Raise your hand if you do. One, two, three, go. Good, good, because what we're going to do is we're going to declare this out loud. We're going to say it together, and then you're going to hear people say all sorts of different names right here. If you are the Jesus that your spouse needs to see and your spouse is seated right next to you, just use my name, okay? <laughs> Don't want to start anything this lovely Sunday afternoon, okay? So you're going to fill that in. We're, no, we're going to declare this with enthusiasm now. Don't let, it feel, don't let it falter. Declare it with enthusiasm and fill in the blank for you personally. Ready? One, two, three. I am the Jesus that needs to see. That's right. 
God has called you to them, that group of people, that person. But here's what happens in church is when we own this together, and I think that we can see this all over the place in Matthew 28, all over the place in Scripture, we know that we are to be salt and light in the world, to shine the light of Christ into the world. When we start talking about this in church, we use phrases like personal evangelism. Have you heard that phrase before, that language? Or sharing your faith or sharing the gospel, telling somebody about Jesus. And when we start to use that language, we start to get a little afraid, don't we? Because sharing my personal faith in Christ, it, it, it can cause a little bit of trepidation. I'm afraid maybe that that person might reject me. I'm afraid that I might not have all the answers. I'm afraid that it might ruin our friendship. We just, a fear kind of stirs up within us a little bit. Stirs up within me. And I'm a pastor. So I know it stirs up within you. Or, or, or again, that fear that, that we may not have all the answers to the questions that they're asking. And listen to me. I have a master's degree in theology. And sometimes I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I would know all the answers to the questions my unchurched friends are asking. So this is normal, everyday stuff. But I think, this is my personal opinion, I believe that really that fear and reluctance to share our personal faith in Christ with someone who doesn't yet know him comes from a myopic, narrow, or incomplete definition of the gospel. Because when I tell you, hey, um, what does it mean to share your faith in Jesus? Or what do you think of when you think of someone who is vocal about their faith in Christ? This is where we think that conversation starts with this statement right here. You are going to hell. That's where we think it starts. And listen, this is the world's most ineffective evangelism tactic. You know what I mean? Like, let's just even, Scotty, can we add just like a little bit of reverb on my voice when, when I say hell? Just when I say hell. This is, this is how we feel it's going to sound for people. You are going to hell. Well, I'd be afraid to do that too. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, and that's incomplete. That's a very incomplete understanding of the gospel. And I have never in my life said this to anyone. In the, it, I did once in traffic. Other than that, <laughs> other than that. And let's say I did. Let's say I did. Who do you know that is not a Christian person that if you said this to them would say, tell me more? And it represents an incomplete understanding of the gospel because Jesus did not come to die on a cross, raise again three days later to conquer sin and hell and death so your disembodied consciousness could go to heaven when you die. That's goofy. I mean, who would do that? Jesus came to die, rise again on the third day so that the debt of sin that you owed God could be paid for such that he could redeem, restore, and renew all things, breathe new life into you, into your marriage, into your finances, into the world at large, into communities, cities, Canada, and around the world so that all things are transformed into the likeness of God and they're returned to that perfect world that Jesus created. So now we understand the gospel in a little bit bigger context, don't we? 
Okay? So here's what I want you to do this morning. Here's one thing. If you say, man, what's the one thing you want me to know? When it comes to sharing your faith, when it comes to being a personal witness for the gospel, just like the great theologian Aretha Franklin once said, I want you to know that you are just a link in the chain. You're just a link in the chain. You guys know that song, Chain of Fools by Aretha? Chain, 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 You know what I mean? Some of you are going, I am never coming back to church again, because that was embarrassing, not just for him, but for me. It was embarrassing for everybody. So here's the deal. God is using you one piece at a time. One moment at a time, one opportunity at a time to link together a chain that is drawing people to himself by his Holy Spirit. And we think sometimes that our job is to take someone who is over here and who is adamantly and aggressively atheist. And when we get an opportunity to share the gospel over the course of, I don't know, six, eight, ten minutes... By the time we're done sharing our gospel with them, they are transitioning into a life of global mission work, right? Like, that's absurd. That's silly. That, I mean, sometimes that happens and God moves in that way and that's great. But you know what? There's always a chain of events, a chain of people, a chain of divinely orchestrated moments that lead up to that point where individuals were faithful in little things that drew that person to the heart of God. Your link in that chain. I'm going to give you six easy ways to be a link in the chain today. And guess what? Here's the great news. None of them are you're going to hell. Okay? And all of them are really easy. But here's what I want to do before I give you the tactics. I want to address a little bit of that fear. A fear of rejection, fear of persecution, fear of not knowing all the answers. I'm going to address a little bit of that, and then we'll move to the tactics. And where I want to go is Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 records a situation where the apostle Peter and the apostle John, who wrote the gospel we're studying right now, are before the religious leaders. This is after Jesus has died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. They are now preaching the gospel of Jesus. They, the, this group of people called the way are starting to grow. Those people would eventually become Christians. And watch how Peter and John become a link in the chain for the religious leaders. What happens? When the religious leaders saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, I don't know about you, but wouldn't you be thrilled if somebody in your life took note that you had been with Jesus, isn't that what we want for our unchurched friends or our friends that don't know Jesus yet, who don't know God in a personal way? Isn't that what we want? Like, man, that person's different. I want what they got. See, that's what these guys are saying. That's what the religious leaders are saying. And you know what? My question is, why? 
What is it about Peter and John that made the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the time who were so far, they were persecuting members of the way, they were persecuting Christians. They're the ones who just crucified Jesus really, I mean, just a couple weeks before. What is it that makes them take note? Well, Luke tells us two things. I love it. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, when he saw their courage, they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, here's the deal. Everybody has fear. Everybody has fear, especially when it comes to sharing a personal witness about Jesus. Everybody gets a little bit afraid. But courageous people don't allow their fear to own them. See, that's the difference. See, fearful people who are being dominated by a spirit of fear allow the fire of fear to burn them and they retreat. Courageous people allow the fire of fear to fuel them and push them forward. This is what Peter and John did. They were courageous and their courage, their boldness caused the Pharisees to perk up their ears and say, we probably ought to listen to these guys. Now watch this. Here's what I need to know. Fearful people, ready? Courage is a big deal. It's huge. As the President of the United States would say, it's huge. It's huge. 2,000 years ago and now, when you step out in faith and when you say God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, love, and of sound mind, that's not my quote. That's the Bible's quote. God has not given me a spirit of fear. He's given me a spirit of power, love, and of sound mind. And I can go into a situation with someone who doesn't know Jesus and be bold and have courage. And it's not easy, friends. It's, it's difficult. I know that fear can own us sometimes. And it would even own the disciples sometimes. You know why I know that? Because just one chapter later, the apostles were together, all the believers in Christ, and they began to pray for boldness. Oh, God, make us bold. We're scared sometimes, and rightly so. They were, they were tarring and feathering Christians, throwing them up on poles and lighting them on fire to like garden parties. They were throwing them uh, to the lions. They, they, they were crucifying them just as they crucified Christ. And they were rightly afraid, but they said, oh God, this means more, so do not let my fear own me. God, make me courageous. And their courage was one link in a chain that God used to begin to draw people to himself. You can do it. God has given you courage. Walk in it. Here's the second thing, and I love this because people all the time say, wow, if I get into a conversation about my faith and God and the Bible, whatever, I'm not going to have all the answers. People are going to ask me, okay, about the age of the earth. People are going to ask me about the exclusivity of Christianity. People are going to ask me about the historicity of Jesus. They're going to ask me all this stuff, and I'm not going to have all the answers. Okay, let me, just, let me just shatter that one for you. Ready? When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were <laughs> unschooled, ordinary men. Every time I laugh at this. <laughs> we, you know, we, for those of you who are new with us, like, we talk about places that the Bible is really funny. Here's one of them. Realize that they were unschooled, ordinary men. What does that mean? That they were what? Just say it. I know you're thinking it. Just say it out loud. That they were what? Just stupid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
But they were dumb. They were ignorant. They were illiterate. Of course they were. Peter was a fisherman. Why did he need to learn to read? And they saw how unschooled ordinary men could be so courageous in sharing their faith about Jesus. Here's what the Bible's telling us. Dumb people are the best evangelists. It's absolutely true. Write that down. They're the best evangelists. And I've known some dumb people in my life, boy, dumb as a sack of rocks. And they're great evangelists. You know why? It's like, well, don't you know that that's kind of like against social etiquette to go around and tell people about Jesus? Don't you know that it's kind of weird to walk up to somebody in a restaurant and go, hey, uh, you mind if I share a little bit about Jesus with you? Don't you know it's, it's strange to say, this room has four walls in it. You ever heard of the four spiritual laws? I mean, don't you know that's kind of weird? And they go, well, I don't know. You know why? Because they're dumb. But they make the best evangelists. When you, and let's, let's take the levity out just for a minute here. When you step out courageously and say, I want to just tell you a little bit about Jesus and about the ways in which God has changed my life through his son, Jesus. And somebody asks you a question and you are willing to say, I don't know. But I know Jesus changed me. It's one of the ways that God draws people to himself. You do not have to have all the answers, friends. Like I told you, I have a master's degree, and I don't have all the answers. Peter and John, Peter and John were disciples. Not just disciples. Jesus says to Peter, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. The most famous Christians of all time were unschooled, ordinary men. The greatest missionaries of all time were unschooled, ordinary men. The world would have called them dumb, but they were extraordinary evangelists because they were courageous and passionate about Jesus. Please take that pressure off yourself today. I don't need to know all the answers. God's got that under control. And when those men, Peter and John, shared their faith, what happened? The Pharisees were astonished. Oh, I love that word, don't you? What is happening to these guys? What has happened to these guys? Well, they've been with Jesus. They've been with Jesus. It's fascinating to me because in the next chapter, what we find is that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, have to respond now to Peter, John, and the rest of the disciples and followers of the way. And they're trying to figure out what to do. And so what happens is a Pharisee named Gamaliel says to the, uh, in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up, gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. Now, this guy Gamaliel is a really interesting guy. He was the greatest rabbi of the time. In fact, when the apostle Paul, before he converted, his name was Saul, he grew up in Judaism. He grew up with a rabbi, a teacher, an instructor. This guy was his rabbi, Gamaliel. He taught the Apostle Paul before he converted to Christianity. So what Gamaliel says, and this is he's not a Christian now, he's just the religious leader, one of the group that's just crucified Jesus at this point, right? And he says, put these men outside for a little while. So he says, okay, escort them outside. So Peter and John, being dumb, go, right? They walk outside. And then Gamaliel stands up and he goes, okay, look, everybody, here's the thing. This has happened before, if you remember. And he names a couple of names. He says, this guy said he was the Messiah. People started to follow him. And then when he he died, the whole thing fell apart. 
And he said, there was this other guy, and he had like 400 followers, I think, Gamaliel says. Uh, but, but, but then when he died, the whole thing fell apart. So check it out, everyone. In this particular situation, he says, next. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Don't do anything to Peter and John. Why? Because if this plan and undertaking is of man, it will fail. We've seen it happen before. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. So watch what happens. This, I think, this really stinks for Peter and John. I'm telling you what, watch what happens. They took his advice, the, the Jewish leadership did, and when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them, not, this is not funny, they beat them. They beat them, charged them not to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. If you're Peter and John, you walk outside, all you know is this group of people is deliberating you don't know what they're saying. They bring you back in. They beat you within an inch of your life and say, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Would your conclusion be that these people are for or against Jesus? Come on, answer the question now. One, two, three. Against, right? But look at that verse one more time. If this is the plan or undertaking of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Gamaliel defends them, doesn't he? He helps possibly even spare their life at this point. Gamaliel being as close as he was with the Apostle Paul, and we don't know this from the Bible and we don't know this from history, so I'm going to just leave the Bible here and walk over here just for a minute. Here's my hunch, is that later in his life, my hunch is that Gamaliel gave his life to Jesus and became a follower. Because he's defending them here. He's defending Christians the, the last guy you would think would defend Christians, the guy who just crucified Jesus just a few weeks before is defending Christians and helping spare their life. In other words, when it comes to personal evangelism, standing up for your faith, being courageous in the face of persecution and danger and say, I follow Jesus and he's changed my life. When it comes to the results of that, you may never know. Peter and John didn't. All they knew was that they escorted us out. They talked for a little while. They brought us back in, beat the tar out of us and said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. Send us on our way. But you may never know what God has done in somebody's life. I shared the gospel with a friend when I was 10 years old in the way that a 10-year-old can, I guess. Lost track of him when I was about 12. And when I was 35 years old, he sent me an email. He said, because of your witness... I gave my life to Christ about a year and a half ago. Left drug dealing. Married a gal who has two kids. I'm a great stepdad now. He actually made note in this email. He's like, you know that Jesus had a stepdad? His name was Joseph. That just blew some people's minds, didn't it? And he said, it's because you shared your faith. I didn't even remember. I didn't even remember. But I was just one link in the chain. Just one. And God put one more link on top, one more link on top, one more link on top. And the next thing you know, that chain drew my friend to a redemptive relationship with Jesus. I got the opportunity to know. Peter and John probably didn't. You may never. I may never in so many situations. But God is in control and he's drawing people to himself. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you six really easy tactics when you have the opportunity to step out in faith, be courageous, when you have the opportunity to talk about Jesus, 
Here's six really easy things that you can do to make that happen. They're all straight from Scripture. Ready? When Philip found Jesus for the first time and realized he was the Messiah, he found Nathanael. And he said to Nathanael, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth. We found him. We found the guy, the Messiah, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Legitimate question. Because not much good came out of Nazareth. And when Philip said, well, if that's your attitude, you're going to hell. Of course he didn't. They didn't have reverb back then. It wouldn't have worked the same, right? This, what does he say? Come and see. You just come see. This is what I call the come and see method of evangelism. Love this one. Love this one. Come and see Bayview Glen Church on Easter Sunday, April 21st at 9, 10, 30, and 12. I'm just saying. I'm just saying just an idea. Come and see my life group. Come and see. You know what? I don't, I don't want to be told about Christianity. I want to be able to ask my questions about life, God, and eternity. Come and see Alpha. That's exactly what it is. It's a meal designed for people to ask questions about life, faith, God, and eternity. It starts on April 25th right here at Bayview Glen Church. Just come and see. Come and see my family. Just come and see. Just come and see. 85% of unchurched people out there will respond with a yes to that right there. 85%, just come and see. And listen, just come and see, just an ex- extending an invite to somebody, that doesn't cause a lot of fear in our hearts, does it? I mean, maybe a little bit. And watch this, watch this. They're going to get easier from here. You're like, man, that seems pretty easy. It's going to get a lot easier. But this is just a real easy way, just a personal invitation. Just come and see, come experience what I've experienced through faith in Jesus. Even if your faith in Jesus is new, even if your faith in Jesus is growing or developing, even if you're not sure yet, you can still invite a friend and say, come see. Just come see. After Jesus died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, the disciples were scattered all over the known world at the time. And Philip has another opportunity to share his faith with an Ethiopian. What he sees is that, and hears is this Ethiopian who was in charge kind of of guarding the queen of Ethiopia at the time. He's reading out loud from the prophet Isaiah. So here's what happens. Uh, Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you are reading? This is a fantastic evangelism tactic. Philip does not run over to him and say, you know, in Isaiah 53, with the stripes, that's Jesus. Philip does not run over to him and say, in Isaiah chapter 6, you know, what's really happening in the original Hebrew there is fascinating. You know, like he doesn't do that. What does Philip do? I'll give you a clue. What does he do? He asks a question. This is is what I call the you talk, I'll listen. Method of evangelism. What do you think about God? What do you think about eternity? What do you think about faith? What do you think about humanity? This evangelism tactics works really, really well, especially if you are afraid or that you might not have all the answers. You don't have to give any because you're just listening. I got a couple people in my life. I talk about podcasts with them. I talk about books that we're reading, unchurched people that don't know Jesus. We talk about this stuff all the time, and I just ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. And you may not believe that I actually use this evangelism tactic because I 
love to hear the sound of my own voice, but I do. And it works. I just ask questions. And it gives me an opportunity at some point to share my story, my faith in Jesus, what I think about God, life, faith, and eternity. In Philip's case, it actually did because moments later, Philip would tell this man about the fulfillment of Isaiah the prophet. The man would choose to follow Jesus, and right there and then, he would get baptized. Philip didn't do much other than just ask questions. You talk, I'll listen. On a one to 10, how hard is that? 10 being the hardest. It's like a two. Just ask questions. Tactic number three, Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Persecution in the Roman world, when Jesus was around and especially subsequent to Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection was bananas. People, it wasn't just about not getting a job or being ostracized from a community. It was about losing your kids, losing your spouse in death. And Jesus says, I want you to pray for those people. Pray blessing over them. Pray goodness over them. Pray good things for them. Pray that they would turn to God and give their life to God. Pray for them. This is what I call the how can I pray for you evangelism tactic. How can I pray? In my entire life, I have asked thousands, literally thousands of unbelieving non-church people who share with me a crisis, something that they're going through in their life. I, I got a test coming up. I got a sick kid. My, my teenagers have gone off the rails. I just got a diagnosis. My marriage is on the rocks. And I say, can I pray for that? I have never once had somebody say, no, not once. <clears throat> is there somebody in your life right now that could use prayer? All you got to do is say, is it okay if I pray for you about that? I just want to pray for you. And, and, then, and then here's the follow-up question. You ready? Ready? I've been praying for you. How's that going? You pray for them, and then you say, how is your kid? How is your spouse? How is your marriage? How is your finances? How did that test go? I failed. Well, the Bible says the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So that tells you, you know, who's praying for you. There you go. You got it now. Here's the next method. Ready? It's called tell your story method. I love, I love this method of evangelism because here's the thing. Nobody can argue with your story, can they? Here's where I grew up. Here's how I met Jesus. My life has changed. Nobody can say that didn't happen. Well, I was there. So yeah, I did. And, and when people ask you questions about this, the likelihood is you're going to have some semblance of an answer, aren't you? Oh, really? So how did you feel at that particular time? Or where were you living at that particular time? Or what was going on in your marriage at that particular time? You just tell your story. You don't have to memorize any Bible verses, right? right? You, don't have to, you don't have to, you know, have a four spiritual laws tract or whatever. 
You could just tell your story. And the great thing is in Acts chapter 26, one of the greatest evangelists and missionaries of all time, the Apostle Paul, gives us a framework for telling our story, and it's really easy. Paul is before the government. He's given an opportunity to defend himself as a Roman citizen. And instead of saying, okay, I'm going to start in the book of Genesis, or hey, Jesus was this, all he does is he tells his personal story. He tells his personal story. Here's how he starts. He says, my manner of life from my youth, here's what I was like B.C., before Christ. Paul says, I was angry. I was a zealot. I was so religious that I persecuted the way. I tried to kill Christians. What were you like before Christ? Did you live your life in fear and shame? Were you like me and everything was about performance? Were you addicted? Were you trapped in a pattern of abuse? What were you like B.C., before Christ? See, that's where Paul starts his story. That's where we should start ours. Then Paul says that in this situation, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. He says, as I was persecuting the church, I journeyed to Damascus. And if you know Paul's story, on the way to Damascus, Jesus appears to him personally. And Paul's life has changed 180 degrees in that instance. This is what I call the turn. There is a turn for you too. If you know Jesus, there's a turn for you. Something happened in your life. Somebody invited you to church, invited you to Alpha, shared a meal with you, sat down and shared their personal story with you, asked you to read a book, Something, something sparked that turn. And for some of us, it's immediate, just like Paul. For some of us, like me, it takes a very long time, like Peter. But there is a turn. And then Paul finishes his story this way. He says, since then, therefore to this day, this is how my life has changed. He says, since then, before Christ, I was this way. There was a turn, a change, and since then, let's put them all together. B.C., turn, and since then. It's not complicated. You ready? Before Christ, I was committed to being the best at everything. I wanted to perform really, really well. I graduated near the top of my class. I spoke at my high school graduation. I was a scholarship athlete. I played band in the church and did all the right things. That was my life before Christ. I was caught up in performance in order to earn God's love. But then my goodness, my righteousness, my performance started to fall apart. Number one, it wasn't satisfying me anymore. And number two, I started to perform badly. And God began to call me to himself and draw me to himself. And God has began to impress upon my heart that his love for me is unconditional. It's not conditioned on my performance. You know, and since then, and life isn't perfect. I get caught up in this performance thing all the time. But the reality is I strive to live in God's love for me and be reminded that it has nothing to do with how I perform, but everything to do with God's unconditional and extraordinary love for me. That's my story. It just took me 60 seconds. It ain't that complicated. Just tell your story. Got two more left. Let's zip through them. Jesus... 
is teaching, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs he was doing on the sick. It's fascinating to note that this is a large crowd. That means there are religious leaders there. That means there are tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners there. People that think they're near to God and are really far from God. People who think they are far from God and are really near to God. People from all different backgrounds, ages, ethnicities. There's probably about 12,000 people listening to Jesus preach. We know that because Luke tells us and John tells us that Jesus would feed 5,000 people, but they only counted men back then. So it's likely about 12,000 if you add women and children. And what happens is Jesus notices that the crowd is hungry. He takes five loaves of bread and a couple of fish and he begins to hand them out and everybody, 12,000 people, eat until they are full and there are leftovers. Do you not love leftovers like I love leftovers? Boy, you know what the worst thing is? This has nothing to do with my sermon. And, and I, I literally, I didn't plan to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. You ever, you ever eat like a great meal at a restaurant and you say, will you bag it up for me? And you leave and forget it. Oh. oh. Is that not the word? And you get in the car with the kids and they're going crazy. And Amy says to me, we forgot our food. And I'm like, I hate myself. I hate, you know what I mean? Like I just collapse emotionally, right? Everybody got leftovers. And watch what happened as a result. When the people saw the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. So yes, this had to do with the miracle that Jesus had performed, but it also had to do with the fact that the people were seated, sharing a meal, talking together about the teachings of Jesus. You want to know my favorite evangelism tactic that Jesus employs in all the scripture? Ready? Let's eat. Let's eat. He does this all the time. Church people. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He hung up in a sycamore tree to see what he could see. Right? And as the Savior walked on by, he said what? Zacchaeus, what? Come down. For I'm coming to your house today to what? To eat. People accuse Jesus all the time. You're eating with tax collectors and sinners. He says, of course I am. It's a great way for me to have an opportunity to share about my identity. And look, for those of you who are afraid of sharing that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus of Nazareth walked on the planet that was God in the flesh, if you are a little bit afraid of doing that, may I remind you that Jesus had it, he had it harder than you did, right? Because if I told you today, today, by next Sunday, you have to convince one person that Jesus was God, or you have to convince one person that you are God. Which one would you choose? <laughs> what did Jesus have to do? He had to convince people that what? He was God. Right? And he uses this method. Just Let's just sit down and have a meal. Let's just talk. He, this happens all over the scripture. Read the gospels and look for food. It's everywhere. Why? Because it's a great evangelism tactic. Come to my house for dinner. Let's do lunch together. Let's grab a coffee together. Let's grab a coffee that looks and tastes like beer together. Let's, let's do whatever. Let's, let's sit down and have a meal and you just end up talking. All right, this is my last one. Ready? 
On the third day, once again, John chapter 2, still in our John series. We're just learning about sharing our faith. This is what happens. On the third day, there was a wedding at Canaan, Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. These are people who are pagan. They invited Jesus to the wedding. And what did Jesus do? He went to the wedding. We wear those little bracelets, WWJD. In this particular case, when Jesus is invited to a wedding, WWJD. He would go to the W wedding, right? So here's the deal. When your non-Christian, unbelieving friends who are far from God ask you to go do stuff, just go do stuff. I'm serious. This is a great evangelism tactic. Here's the thing. A friend of mine once told me, he's brilliant, he's an elder, he said this. He said, in order to start doing new stuff, you got to stop doing old stuff. I'm not going to tell you his name. I'll just tell you it rhymes with Graham Lagine. Okay. Brilliant. What does that mean? It means that if you are a Christian and you have so packed your life with Bible studies and Christian stuff and you're showing up at church all the time and you look around and go, I don't think I know any non-Christian people. You need to stop doing some old stuff. So you can start doing new stuff. Start getting around non-Christians. How do I know that the people at the wedding were far from God? Because when Jesus changed water into wine, it tells us that they were full of wine. Do we all know what that means or do I need to say it a different way? Maybe we're drunk as a skunk, man. Absolutely three sheets to the wind. And Jesus is there with them, serving them. All the time we see Jesus hanging out with tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. The religious leaders would say, what are you doing? He's like, I'm just doing stuff with them. Weddings, funerals, birthdays, anniversaries, bar mitzvahs. It was Jewish culture, right? All of that stuff. Jesus was just there with people. And people were like, we want Jesus here. Do stuff. When someone asks you, to go to lunch, to come over this weekend, let's watch a game, whatever it is, you say, yes. Everybody practice that with me. And don't say, don't say yes. Say, yes, like I did. Ready? One, two, three. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you fell for that one, boy. Oh, you sound so stupid. Mm. But you make the best evangelist. We've already talked about this, right? So here's what happens. You do stuff with people. God puts a link in a chain. And then you have a conversation where you are able to tell your story. And then you pray for somebody and God puts a link in a chain. And then, and then you have a meal with somebody and God puts a link in a chain and then you say, come and see my church, my life group, whatever. God puts a link in a chain and he begins to take these links and put them together. And by his Holy Spirit, he takes this chain now and he begins to draw people to Christ. And you are not the whole chain. You are just one link in the chain. One simple way that you can be the light 
of Christ to the world, that you can be salt in the world, that you can share the good news about Jesus. It's not about you're going to hell and let me share these, you know, this gospel tract with you. It's just about being that one link in the chain that someone could experience the redemptive love of Christ in a personal way. And listen to me, you've heard this about a chain. The chain is only as strong as what? Weakest link, don't be the weakest link. Don't, don't be the weakest link. And for some of you, you might think I'm talking down to you, I'm disparaging you, or I'm going, you know what, condescending, don't be the weakest link. That's not what I'm saying. Here's what I'm telling you. You are smarter than you think you are. Stop telling yourself you don't have the answers. Look at me now. You're more courageous than you think you are. You know how I know that? Because God says he's given you a spirit of power, not me. You are more courageous than you think you are. You have more clout and sway and influence with your friends and family that don't know Jesus than you think you do. You can do it. So when you're the weakest link, what I know, when I'm the weakest link, what I know is I'm not living in what God has called me and empowered me and given me gifts and abilities to do. When I fail to do my job and when I fail to step into having a meal, sharing my story, praying for somebody, when I fail to do that, I am not walking in the power that God has given me. You can do it. Look at me now. You can do it and stop believing that crap lie that you can't because you can share your story and share your personal faith in Christ in a way that God uses to draw people to himself. One more time. I'm just a link in the chain. Here's the deal. You got a link on the way in today. What I want you to do is take it, put it on your keys, put it on your backpack, put it on your desk, put it on your, I don't know, wherever else it fits. Don't throw it away. Don't give it to somebody else. Put it somewhere it reminds you. And every time you hear that darn Aretha Franklin song, I'm telling you this from here on out, you're going to think, chain, chain, chain. You're going to start doing that. I'm just a link in the chain. You know what I mean? You're going to remember you are just a link in the chain, one link at a time, and God draws people into himself, and you can do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. Thank you for using us one link at a time to draw people to yourself. God, we have declared today that we are the Jesus that somebody somewhere somehow needs to see. Would you remind us of that responsibility, that opportunity? And you, would you remind us today that there are a myriad of ways that we can be salt and light to the world in a way that transforms the world? God, even as we respond in song, we call upon you. We say, God, we look to you. We will not be overwhelmed. Give us wisdom because you just know just what to do. You know just what to say. You know just when to be silent. You know just how to respond when we have these redemptive and holy and divine appointments. So we look to you, God, teach us to be 
links in that chain. In the name of Christ, the people of God together said, amen. Hey, let's stand and respond in song.